0: welcome to fantasy focus baseball it's a beautiful thursday morning april 16th 2020 the underrated kyle Sopi, researchers and producers for this fine show today's guest fantastic espn baseball writer dave Schoenfield, is my co-host and i am merely eric carabelle basically somebody had to host hello dave how are you today
1: Eric, I'm glad we're here together. We can talk like 1980s baseball and go, you know, talk about all the great old games we've been watching during our quarantine, or maybe we can talk fake fantasy baseball. I don't know.
0: You know, that's actually a good a decent point because while obviously the, the what's happening in the world is very unsettling. I'm kind of enjoying watching old baseball to some degree. I miss obviously live new baseball, but I'm watching like a game, whether it's NBA or baseball. You know, every day during the day and at night, and I'm finding out things that I, I didn't learn before. I'm on baseball reference like 20 hours a day looking stuff up. Hey, I didn't know that. You know, Doug Drabeck was an all-star only one time somehow. Like, crazy stuff. Have you been doing the same thing? Yeah, you know, I know
1: a lot of the games we're watching, you know, we had the Kirk Gibson game on last night. I think I've watched that one three times. But yeah. I know we know what happens in a lot of these games, at least the baseball ones. But I love comparing the eras and kind of figuring out how the game has evolved from the 70s to the 80s and so on, you know, compared to what we have now. Um, and I know we love the 80s. That was our era in the late 70s. And, I, I, don't, I don't, Eric, to me, the biggest change in baseball over our lifetime, from what I can gather, from the 70s to the 80s, like you watch these games in the 70s, a lot of the pitchers, you know, look like they're barely throwing the ball and they're throwing 83-mile-an-hour fastballs. But by the time you get to, like, that Dodgers-A's game in 88, that looks a lot like baseball now. Dave Stewart's throwing hard. Eckersley's throwing hard. Hershiser. So, like, from the 70s to the 80s was a really big change in baseball, I think.
0: It's strikeout rates to me. I mean, in part, it, it's nobody looks like, Larry Bo or Rudy Mayoli anymore, you know, from that Cubs-Phillies 23-22 game. But also, like, watching the, the Royals and the Yankees in the late 70s, Sparky Lyle had, like, a 2.5 K-9. Yeah. Dan Quisenberry struck nobody out in his era. It was all ground balls. Like, nobody was hitting the ball hard and in the air for home runs. It's like, if you hit 18 home runs in a season, that was a great year. The K-rates. Everybody throws hard. Everybody's built bigger and stronger and fat nobody weighs 150 pounds anymore like you know like uh chris spire or larry boa these these you know number two hitters who were bunting i miss that i do i miss that to some degree i don't like the fact that every twin last year hit 30 home runs i like it better when like schmitty was the only philly hitting 20 home
1: runs well no look but yeah, Johnny Bench was on Buster's podcast the other day. And even he was saying, look, when we played, we all had 10, 12% body fat. and these, these guys today are all built like Greek gods. So even Bench was admitting that today's players are in better shape. You know, they're better athletes. Although there was a lot of speed in the 70s and 80s. They just weren't as physically built as today's players. But to your point, The style of the game had so much more variety, and I do miss that, you know, because a ball in play, stuff can happen. A strikeout, yeah, it's exciting if it's your pitcher doing it, but when it's your team striking out 12 times a game, it's not so exciting. So, yeah, I do miss the bunts and the hit and runs and the defensive plays, no doubt. I think the game was in some – I hate to be the old guy, but in some ways it was more interesting.
0: So I'm currently playing a simulation on Dynasty League Baseball with our friend Steve Gardner from USA Today, and I'm the '77 Phillies, and he's the '82 Orioles. And in one of the in one of our World Series games yesterday, Larry Boas squeezed home a run. <laughs> Richie Hebner tripled in a run. There's no squeezes anymore. There's no stolen bases any. I mean, there's no uh, triples anymore. The, the Phillies, as a whole, had only three or four relief pitchers, not eight. It's a totally different game. But like I've been playing simulation now on Dynasty League Baseball, which I love, um, Out of the Park Baseball, which I'm playing a lot more of. You and I are in two Diamond Mine Baseball leagues, so Tristan and I often discuss what we've been doing to pass the time. I know you're in a you're in a simulation leagues with us as well. Have you been doing a little bit more simulation? Any uh, any company you'd like to recommend?
1: Uh, well, not yet. I bought Out of the Park Baseball, and so what I want to do, I want to start with the '77 Mariners. <laughs> And hopefully have a winning season before the real life Mariners, who didn't have one until nineteen ninety one. But uh haven't got around to that yet doing a lot of work and our other sim leagues. So but I'm kind of at that point now where I need some some more sim baseball to get me going.
0: And by the way, let me mention here, you've been doing some terrific work. You and I are both still working, thank God. And some of the stuff you've written recently, while not having a fantasy tilt to it, but I really enjoyed it. The most hyped prospect ever for all thirty MLB teams you wrote last week—that was fantastic. I hope I gave you a little bit of help there on the Phillies. Uh, the biggest MLB one-hit wonders was terrific as well. And then also, I know it wasn't you, but the um, the the new World Series, like the teams that never—what's the exact title of it? Basically. Yeah, uh...
1: Yeah, Brad Doolittle did that. That was the uh, all the, the best teams that never won a World Series. He had a nice 32-team tournament, and, yeah, the 94 Expos won that. My Mariners, 0-1 Mariners can't even win simulation baseball <laughs> tournament. But, yeah, Brad did a great job on that. That was fun for sure.
0: <laughs> um, and also we should mention the uh, the GOAT tournament that we did, Project GOAT, with my boss, Pierre Bouquet, and and um, you and I – So I think half of the people that were in that league were ESPN people and half maybe were not. And um, let's just try to describe what it is. It's still posted ESPN and there's more work coming. And basically listeners and readers can now compete in this. You put together a 23-man roster. It's a five-by-five rotisserie-style league, but there are rules. You can't use any – this is over the last 40 years, all right? And you can't use more than one player per franchise, more than one player per year. You can't use – one player more than once um and so it's pretty cool stuff you and I were both in this you kicked my butt you almost won um <laughs> which is great I've almost finished last so I guess I have to ask you so you punted saves which I had I thought about but then didn't do uh, you just missed winning um AJ was in it Tristan was in it as well tell us how Zola how, how did you do so well in this how, how much time did you spend on this?
1: Well, yeah, so Andy Barons who won, we were the only two that punted saves, so obviously that strategy worked. Now, whether you could win in a different way, I'm not sure, but um, so that was my first move was I'm going to punt saves, but because of that, I emphasized on my pitching staff uh, starters with a low ERA and low whip, knowing I would do good in wins and strikeouts, assuming other people would pick some uh, some closers. but. So I, I, I obsessed over this, Eric. I spent like three or four days. I built like nine different rosters to compare, you know, my rosters to, to each other and then pick my best one. Um, it was fun. Yeah, it was, it was a really fun concept. It's our, again, our era, 1980 to 2019. Uh, just fun looking back at all the great seasons. Um, but, yeah, I think the strategy was a key component.
0: Give an example of a couple of the players that you use, like the Dwight Gooden season. Everybody wanted to use that, but not everybody could. The One of the Pedro Martinez seasons. I had a Kershaw season, a Randy Johnson season. Um, I think I had last year's Garrett Cole and the pitchers. And then for hitters, like everybody had a hit for power. And I I didn't have nearly enough stolen bases. Andy had the Tim Raines second base season. He was eligible there in 83 which was a key a key difference maker here because no second baseman, we're stealing 90 bases. Give, a, give us a couple of the names of the players that you relied on.
1: Well, so another key was you could only pick so many players from each decade, six per decade, one decade with five. So that affected your decisions. Um, so to me, a, a key thing was 1997, which was Larry Walker's monster year, MVP, I think probably the best fantasy season ever in this era, maybe a rookie year, I'm not sure. But that was also Mike Piazza's best season, Um, although he had a lot of different seasons you could have picked. But when I went through my my numbers, there were two great catchers that stood out, a Piazza year and uh, Pudge Rodriguez, 1999. And I realized I wanted two good catcher seasons. So I, I picked Piazza, which meant I couldn't take Larry Walker, but Ellis Burks in 1996 with the Rockies had an almost as good a season as Walker. So that ended up being my Rocky season. So that allowed me to get a great Rockies year plus Mike Piazza on my team.
0: Well, you did well. And from what I'm hearing, uh, and, and Kyle interrupted us or something, I don't know about this, but people can now go onto our site, check out the stories on Project GOAT, and there will be more information soon about how you can assemble an even greater team than both Dave did and Andy Behrens did as well and uh, and compete for bragging rights or whatever. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm going to try to improve my team. I know now how I can improve my team and probably spending more than 30 minutes would help. So um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that, I was lazy. I just wanted to watch Netflix apparently. Um, let's move on on this show here. So um, a popular topic Tristan and I have been talking about a lot is um, the Sims on Baseball Reference. Uh, baseball Reference is simming out the entire season, and it's really cool stuff, and the Phillies are like 4-13. and 13. But um, it's still been kind of fun to see what they believe, what the Sim, I think it's out of the park, what the Sim believes that certain players will do statistically, which obviously affects fantasy. So we've discussed in the past couple weeks that Marcus Semien of Oakland is hitting for even more power, Um, Justin Upton looks like he's back. Chris Davis of Oakland is back and doing his thing. And the pitchers, there were a few surprises here. Nate Pearson of Toronto has been one of the bigger surprises there as well. The number two pitcher in wins above replacement, and this is through about 20 games per team, the ERA leader is Kyle Freeland of Colorado, which Maybe he's pitching only in the road. By the way, Rick Porcello, <laughs> number four in ERA there, Kyle. I'm sure you don't want to talk about that. No, we're
2: not talking about that. That's why it's a simulation. It's not actually
0: happening. Of course not. But the number two pitcher in wins above replacement is a guy who I know you talked to in spring training before all this, you know, disaster. Mike Soroka of the Braves, who I have on a sim team, and I know you know real well from playing in fantasy and sim as well. Great season last year. But the ERA did not match the XFIP, a 268 ERA with a 385 XFIP. And the strikeout rate was low, certainly compared to what everybody else is doing. So tell us what you talked to Soroka about. Did you learn anything? And would you invest in him in fantasy or sim for this year?
1: Yeah, you know, I have him in our, um, the, that Fangraphs League we're in, um, which is a Points League, which means he's not super great because of that strikeout rate. Certainly, one of the more intriguing pitchers (laughs) heading into 2020. Yeah, 7.3 Ks per nine, which would be awesome in 1978, but not so much in 2019. But um, talking to him, extremely bright, smart kid. Uh, You know, he's into all the analytics. But the first thing he was telling me, he's like, I know my strikeout rate isn't all that great. He goes, I know I'm going to have to get more strikeouts or I'm not going to have a 2.68 ERA last year. So um, I was there, and it was a couple days before spring training was canceled, but he was working on a couple things. The one, he just mentioned, um, you know, pitch selection. He goes in the second half, hitters figured out a few things against him, but from a physical standpoint, like a lot of pitchers, he was trying to improve the spin rate on his four-seam fastball um, up in the zone, You know, which, as we know, four-seamers up in the zone can generate more strikeouts. Um, he didn't exactly elaborate how well that was working at that point in spring training, but that's what he was trying to do. So these pitchers, as you know, Eric, they have all this information now. They know what they can try to improve on. Now it's just a matter of whether – you know, that actually comes to fruition. But, you know, again, smart kid, hard worker. Um, I think he's going to be pretty good again. 2-6 ERA, that's asking a lot. Um, but he does get a lot of ground balls, so he's a little bit of an anomaly in today's game.
0: And, you know, I, I first heard the name of Mike Soroka from a friend of ours who's in our 30-team sim league. They live up in Calgary, and this guy, Colin, his – um he knows Soroka's father or he works with him or something. So, like, that's how I first heard the name. And I was like, all right, let me look deeper. He drafted him when he was, like, 16. But then I took him in a, in a dynasty league, and now I have Soroka in that dynasty league. So I can thank Colin for that. It's all about connections and communication. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and, – and you're right. Soroka said the same stuff to me at the All-Star game last year. Obviously, it's not going to be, I don't think, an All-Star game this year. Um, anybody else that you talk to in spring training that you can extract some information for our listeners for fantasy purposes, numbers that you think might go down, go up, somebody who might emerge as something that we hadn't thought about before?
1: Uh, well, I was only there a couple days before we got kicked out. Um, one guy I saw, and this is a, for fantasy, uh, probably a non-starter, but I, I saw Felix Hernandez pitch. He'd been having a really good spring training. Um, before things got interrupted at the time, Cole Hamels was hurt. So there was a couple openings in the Atlanta rotation. Now, by the time the season resumes, Hamels, his shoulder, probably I assume will be ready. Um, but Felix was pitching his way onto the team. Um, he was in much better shape. You know, he talked about working on a few things that uh, the Braves staff had told him that maybe he wasn't doing in Seattle. He wouldn't elaborate. Um, you know, But he was very confident, very optimistic about the way he was throwing. Look, I saw, I saw what happened these last few years in Seattle. I wouldn't count on him, but if you want to take a flyer on somebody, you know, maybe it's worth rolling the dice.
0: And, and while we have the Mariners fan here, are there any Mariners that you would like to talk about for fantasy purposes that maybe we're just not really thinking about? I mean, I'm writing up a story on every major league team until June. I'm already about two divisions in. And they're posted at ESPN Fantasy. And it's talking it's, – it's, you know, uh, uh, by uh, – I'm talking about basically all the players. Uh, Value good, values is bad, um, who I like, who I don't like. I haven't gotten to the AL West yet, but I'm going to get to it at some point. I have a feeling I'm going to be recommending, like, Shed Long a little bit here. Tom Murphy is doing really well in The Sims. You have a bunch of young outfitters in Seattle, Jake Fraley, Braden Bishop, uh, I don't really like the pitching so much, but anybody on Seattle you'd like to discuss for fantasy purposes?
1: Well, I, I don't know what your take is on Evan White, who's going to be the first baseman, even though he hasn't played in AAA. We all know he's a gold glove caliber first baseman. It's how much he's going to hit. Here's the key to me is their A park in Arkansas is a really tough park for right-handed batters. And I think he hit like 16 of his 18 home runs on the road, something like that um So, remember, he's going to go from the double A ball, which was not the triple A ball, to the major league ball. You know, and he's going to be in a more neutral park. Seattle's still a tough hitter's park, but Arkansas is really tough. So, I think there might be 20 homer power there that might not show up in his, you know, minor league stats. So, I think he, you know, top for, you know, he's not a top of line first baseman, but if you don't get one of those guys, he might be a late round pick you could uh, sneak in on.
0: I totally agree. And, 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 and I've been writing about Evan White quite a bit uh, before all this and saying that while he wouldn't be a definite guy you have to draft in a 10-team ESPN league, he's a guy you should be looking at because don't assume that a player who did not hit for power in the minors can't hit for power in the majors. Remember what Ozzy Alves did when he first came up. And these players change their launch angle all the time. Yep. They get better. They emerge. They learn more things. I think Evan White could hit 275 with 25 home runs in a full season, like 2021 in a full season. I think he could do something like that. Would he look all that much different than, like, a Christian Walker who everybody is drafting or, like, Reese Hoskins who might hit 220? You know, this this there's problems with quite a few first basemen. Is Carlos Santana at 25 and, and 90 worth an eighth-round pick but Evan White isn't worth a pick at all? No, of course. Evan White's a much better value.
1: Yeah, no, especially in an AL only league, right? Isn't AL first base still pretty pathetic these days? So yeah, I think White's a good sleeper. The outfielders, you know, Fraley, you know, he's kind of a singles hitter, you know, might hit for a good average. Uh Bishop, no, he's a he's a he's a fifth outfielder. He can't hit. I mean, the guy to watch there is Jared Kellinick. Um, I don't know how this will affect his timetable. Um, I think he would have been a midseason call up, you know, in a normal year. So what happens? Do they just wait until 2021? Do they say, you know what, let's just throw him into the fire, see what he can do. Um, That's the kind of stuff you'll have to pay attention to once we get back in action.
0: Well, let me get your take on that then. Let's assume in the most optimistic terms, and nobody knows the right answer to this, but let's assume that baseball starts again at some point in June, just for the sake of the show. Do you think it is more likely or less likely that we will see top prospects like Mackenzie Gore, Dylan Carlson, Kalanick, who I think is a little bit further away, but like Gore, Nate Pearson, Spencer Howard of Philly, I think that if a team thinks it can contend in in an 80-game season, it's more likely to let a young starting pitcher who will not go over an innings limit be in the majors all year. Like, I think Spencer Howard might pitch more than Jake Arrieta on Philadelphia, so a lot of people disagree and say for financial reasons and for like the Chris Bryant reason, you get an extra year out of a player, they'll push them back. What do you? And Seattle's a little different because they're probably not contending, but 25 right. other teams are. Do you think it's more or less likely on prospects?
1: My feeling is for the pitchers, I think they're going to push those guys to the majors because you, look, you're going to have a shorter season, which means more chance at chaos, more chance for a mediocre team getting hot for – you know, however long the season is. So, yeah, guys like Howard Pearson who have the big fastballs and, yeah, they look, they could always use a little more seasoning, but look at those rotations. Those guys are better than whoever the Phillies or Blue Jays are going to throw out there. Mackenzie Gore, I mean, he's not going to learn anything in, in the minors at this point. So now you don't have to worry about the innings limit. I think they're in the majors, you know. That would be my gut, but again, we'll have to see. But I would, I think, we're going to be hitters. Little different story, you know. I guess it depends where you are on the service time. I'm with a guy like Kellinik; he probably needs, uh, you know, a couple months in AAA, uh, But I would roll the dice on, on on those starting pitchers.
0: I agree. And in the simulations that I'm looking at here on Baseball Reference, Nate Pearson has made four starts. He's Toronto's big tall right hander. 1.99 ERA, 30 strikeouts. In twenty-two and two-thirds innings, and he's fifth in the uh, in the league in WAR among starting pitchers. And to me, I'm a little surprised that they don't have Spencer Howard up as well because I think they're the exact same. They're both ready. Um, Mackenzie Gore, you know, Chris Paddock tri- skipped AAA for the Padres. Yep. And to me, the Padres with that lineup and that potential that bullpen that was that's a potential wild card team. Maybe even a division winner. Like You know that the percentages on the Dodgers winning the division over 162 games is like 95%. But on an 80-game season, it's like 65% because anything can happen over three months. A couple years ago, the Dodgers were under 500 into June. Yeah. So why can't the Padres contend? Why can't Cincinnati contend or the Chicago White Sox? Michael Kopech could be an actual ace right now. They can make room for him easily enough. He's coming back from Tommy John. I, I agree with you. Starting pitching, go get it. If you're doing a draft right now and hoping for an 80-game season, take the young starting pitchers that are in AAA.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. In fact, I'm doing a little study right now to see what's happened over the past three years, um, over 100 games, over 75 games, over 50 games, checking each team's best stretch. And obviously, it logically, it makes sense. The shorter the season, uh, the better opportunity for a mediocre team to have a good run. But the Padres in particular, with, with that young pitching they have, um, have a chance to be a surprise. And Now they don't have to worry about the inning. Chris Paddock, you know, might have been a guy who would be on a somewhat of an innings limit. You don't have to worry about that. Daniel Lemay, he came back last year and was unbelievable down the stretch. You know, throw in Mackenzie Gore. Um, maybe Luis Patino makes a, a run at some point. Yeah, Padres are exciting.
0: Uh, From our last show, we did a poll. Kyle posted it on Twitter. Uh, Tristan and I have been having arguments on the show. Um, The last one was, who plays more games? Let me get your answer. Who (laughs) plays more games over the next five seasons? Aaron Judge or Adalberto Mondesi of the Royals? Uh,
1: I guess I'd go Mondesi. I mean, Judge has been injured two years in a row. I mean... That's
0: what I said. Uh, Tristan, like, maybe it's Yankee bias, but... He was, he was like, oh, Judge is fine. I'm like, Judge is not fine. And then I'm trying to remember, and Kyle, maybe you can help me out. What was the argument? Who's more injury days? prone, Kershaw or Judge was, okay. better, was how all this started. Who is more injury prone between Kershaw and Judge? What's your answer?
1: I'd say Judge. I think part of Kershaw.
0: <laughs> Judge got 80% of the vote. Tristan
2: was convinced he'd get 20%. See,
1: Kershaw, part of his injuries, I think, the Dodgers just have – been very, very cautious with him. Yeah. Which they could afford. They've won seven straight division titles. They don't need him to make 33 starts. Um, Although, I don't know if you read Wright Thompson's story yesterday on Kershaw. um, When he was with Kershaw in spring training, Kershaw had said he feels stronger than ever. He had started his off-season workouts earlier knowing he wanted to get stronger and that he feels better than he has in years. So... Judge, I mean, I saw Judge when I was at Yankee camp one day. He stopped by to talk to the reporters, even though the six-foot band was in effect that day. Um, He is just so large and has muscles, like, coming out of his head. Huge. You know, he's just – it's unbelievable to see this guy up close. And, you know, sometimes baseball, you need maybe that 12% body fat that Johnny Bench had.
0: I, I hope he's not the right-field version of Rich Harden, but I I would not want to have Aaron Judge for this year because even in a shortened season, he'll still get hurt in a dynasty league, in a sim league. You know that I traded uh, Aaron th- the rights to Aaron Judge for Bryce Harper in our 12-team sim, yep. and that's a challenge trade, essentially. Yeah. And also, I'm a Phillies fan. But I would rather have Harper's future, even if it doesn't have as much upside for one season as Judge, Um so it's interesting that you say that you agree with me. I, I and we're right, basically. Basically, everybody's voting the same way. So it's Aaron Judge. Be really careful. Even in an eighty-game season, I I don't trust that he's can stay healthy. So that's a fallacy of the of the of a half season is people assuming that brittle players will be fine. No, if you're brittle, you're still going to get hurt. Especially if they compact the games and have a double header a week for every team and no off days, it's going to be more likely that the guy gets hurt. Although yeah, there might that's be like, a really good yeah.
1: point because I think there is a good chance we'll see more double headers in some fashion. They want more games. We know that. You know, they want to get as many games in, whether it's seven doubleheaders. double headers. Yeah, you know. Now maybe they have expanded rosters so players can sit a little more, but also, you know, in a short season, you can't afford to sit guys. It's you know, pedal to the metal, right? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think the short season affects how you view injury prone players.
0: My uh, I'm doing a bold prediction in each one of these articles, obviously 30 articles per team, one per team. My Yankee one this is what I think was Mike Talkman's going to get more plate appearances than Judge and Stanton. I actually believe that one. Some of the other ones are just ridiculous. Well, but, now here's a
1: who would you who would you take Judge or Stanton is, to play more games?
0: I know Eric's answer, neither. Exactly. <laughs> well, they're going to play I would I would take Stan to play more games, but there's no way I'm drafting either one of these guys in a 2020 league or in a dynasty league. They can't stay healthy. I do not want to deal with that.
1: So, you've been doing this for years, Eric, and this is always the conundrum I have when I'm in a league, especially draft leagues that are just a draft. When you what risk do you take? You seem to always be mitigate your risk. But somebody's going to draft Aaron Judge, and he's going to play every game and hit 35 home runs in 80 games and win the league.
0: This has been pointed out to me on why I finish second a lot, which I think is a positive thing, you know, in a way. Like, I contend in all my leagues, I feel like, whether it's fantasy or sim, but a lot of the time somebody beats me because they have an aberrant performance player. I take some chances, but I'm probably more cautious than most in fantasy and in sim. And you're right. Aaron Judge, one of these years, Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP. I was saying that for a decade on Steven Strasburg, you remember. I said, one of these years, he is going to win a Cy Young, but it ain't going to be on one of my teams. And he was Cy Young worthy last year when Washington just had to make the playoffs so they could win the World Series. But you're right. And aren't you like like me in that respect? Like you're not going to you're going to take chances, but not early on in a draft where you would take a guy who you know is injury prone.
1: Yeah, I've become more conservative through the years because once you get burned year after year on whoever, especially pitchers, of course, you, you realize I want that certainty, you know, and you hope you hope you can get lucky with more of a young player, an up and coming player. But you mentioned Strasburg; that's a really good example. On a, if the season had started March twenty sixth or whatever. I might have been a little leery about him just because of his injury history and all the innings he threw in the postseason. But I would now move guys like him and Scherzer. I mean, they're high anyways, but I would move them up higher than I would have over a 162-game season.
0: Right. If I, if I updated my rankings when we find out they're playing, I would move up a lot of the rookies like Pearson, Spencer Howard, and Mackenzie Gore – I would move up. Obviously, there's no injury right now on Mike Clevenger. He's fine. He's a potential top 10 starting pitcher. In fact, my Indians article comes out Friday. Bieber and Clevenger are both underrated in fantasy. Um, Bieber is underrated because people look at his 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 exit velocity rates, his hard hit rates, and say, how could he do that again? But look at his strikeout rate. He doesn't walk anybody. They're all solo home runs. So... I, I agree. We would we would have to redo the rankings like never before. Also, depending on where they play, if there's no course field in all Arizona, that would affect all the Rockies too.
1: How would you that's maybe you and Tristan have talked about this, but the other thing is the schedule. Yeah. Is it gonna be a balanced schedule? You know, which if you're not the Indians won eighteen and one against the Tigers last year. I don't know how many times Beaver pitched, you know, against the Tigers, but if it's a balanced schedule, now he's playing the Yankees just as often as the Tigers. That could affect mostly guys in the AL Central, which was such a terrible division. But that's another factor on redoing your rankings,
0: or the um, you know the proposed divisions. You know, yeah. the Phillies might end up in the same division as the Yankees and the Rays. You know, for a shortened season, which would I, look. I'm not believing anything that's being reported until I know for sure what's going to happen. No. Just, I'm not going to do it.
1: Yeah, no, they're throwing ideas out there. They they leak them on purpose. They want to see what the feedback and the reaction is. And we don't know. We don't know anything right now.
0: Well, I know I'm going to be watching old baseball today. (laughs) So that's good. (laughs) And uh, I'm trying to think, like, I watched the 77 playoffs. I watched the Bucky Dent game. Uh, The Cardinals, they had the 1983 season or 82 season. The Cardinals in that World Series against Milwaukee. I love that. I was was watching that
1: now. Pete Vukovic.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Worst Cy Young winner ever,
0: right? 1980. No, no, well, Johan lost out to Bartolo Cologne one year, didn't yeah, he? Yeah,
1: that was pretty. But Vukovic that year, here's how the game has changed, uh, young listeners out there. <laughs> he won the Cy Young because he won 18 and six. His ERA was three point something. Nobody really had a great year, but he had 102 walks. And 105 strikeouts. Almost a one-to-one ratio. Yeah. Getting, you know, on the waiver wire today.
0: So part of what I've been doing while I'm on Baseball Reference all day is looking up, like, seasons, how that guy get on that team? Um, why, is, why is Pete Rose batting second for the 83 Phillies with a 6.02 OPS? He was arguably the worst player in all of baseball. And a team that made the World Series batted him second the entire year. Some of
1: I'm the batting orders up. from those days. Awful, awful. Even even Barry Bonds with the Pirates. Now, he wasn't Barry Bonds of the Giants, but he was still won two MVP awards. He would bat fifth. Yeah. And they have Van Slyke third and Bobby Bonilla fourth and God knows who was hitting leadoff or Lando Merced or somebody. The best player in the league was batting fifth. So that probably cost him, you know, 70 plate appearances over the year. That's not even as bad as Batty P. Rose second.
0: Sid Bream. I want you to look at Sid Bream's numbers as an Atlanta Brave. How was he even playing? How was he even <laughs> starting for that team? I know he scored the winning run in the, one of the best endings ever. But anyway, I, I, I wasn't playing fantasy back then. We're not that old. But I was thinking, like, like obviously with the Goat Project and starting in 1980, and I was when I was looking up stuff, I had the Robin Yount season that was cool, and I had like a Howard Johnson season. My first pick was the Mike Schmidt 1980 season. Of course, I have to. I'm wearing a Schmidt jersey right now. No pants, but a Schmidt jersey. Um, it's 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 all fun. I love looking at the late 70s and 80s baseball. I almost think that's my favorite era, even, even still.
1: Other than the astroturf.
0: Well, that that was bad. Like Baker McBride hits a ground ball up the middle, and he gets a triple on it because <laughs> because of the Astros. Yeah, I
1: watched the other day; they had a Pirates Orioles game seven. Yeah, yeah, seventy nine, and it was great because the Pirates are wearing their yellow jerseys, the Orioles are in their orange jerseys. They're playing at Old Memorial Stadium. The field is a train wreck because it was all torn up because the Colts used to play there. Yeah, yeah. So the biggest at bat of the game in game seven, the Pirates are up two to one. Eddie Murray, bases loaded, two outs. We actually have a story coming up on this on ESPN.com. I won't get into it, but he flies out. But Dave Parker going back to catch the ball almost trips. There's like a big hole in right field from the football game. Um, so that part of the 70s maybe wasn't so great. But, yeah, you just – it's – I love that era. I love today's game too. but you uh, broken out
0: your baseball cards? better
1: than when you're 12 years old or whatever. I,
0: I, I haven't broken out my entire baseball card collection, but I do have like a box of the best ones. Like I have a mantle. I have a Berra. I have the, the valuable Schmidt and Carlton cards. I have every one of their cards. Um, so I've been looking at those. You know, you're trying to keep busy. I'm, I'm finding things to do. But, yes, the old baseball. Well, was the what was the
1: first year. year you played Roto then?
0: Well, actually, it, interestingly enough, and I wrote this up, I don't think it's run yet, but my first actual fantasy draft was a basketball draft. Okay. In, I think, 89. Um, I was I was like six years old. And um, so, <laughs> so I started playing, I think, uh, baseball like in 90.
1: and Yeah. That's, and, yeah, like the one cool Well, actually I, I was in okay, this is can I do a really nerdy thing here?
0: Um that's this whole show has been nerdy.
1: Well, so you remember when the first rotisserie book came out, like 83 maybe, I, something like that?
0: Yeah, something like
1: so, that. So, you know, I was a kid, 13 or whatever, and I actually drafted teams, just me by myself, drafted a bunch of different teams and kept the stats and did it all throughout the season um, <laughs> like a one-man fantasy league. I guess I couldn't really do any trades, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I that's, feel like, you know, so that's that's my first exposure, I guess, but
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did well in fantasy baseball in the nineties better than I'm doing now because I put more time into it. Uh, I'm in, a, I'm in a league that I've been in a league since then. And nobody in the league likes me anymore because in the 90s, I was the kind of fantasy manager that would rob people in trades. <laughs> I, would, I would pick wait, up free agents. Wait, you used a. to be a. that guy. I was that guy in the 90s. I've seen like, some of your trades. <laughs> oh, terrible, terrible trades with the weakest owners. And then, you know, I'd be picking up a free agent at 3 a.m. because he was on the Angels and got a save that night. And, and then people in the league were like, oh, we don't like you anymore. i was still in the league, but – you know, I mean, I think we're old enough now we can get past that, but I don't think they have. Um, anyway, we could probably reminisce about the 80s baseball for a long time, but we want to get some questions in from people, the hash browns from Twitter. And also Kyle's been sitting there for a half an hour and he, he wants us to talk as well. So I see your smiling face, Kyle. Uh, uh, what hash browns do we have on today's fine show?
2: Well, you guys reminiscing made me happy. Like, that, just, that stuff was all before my time. But just the emotion that you guys exhibit when you're talking about a game that happened 35, 40 years ago, it just it makes me happy.
0: You're 12 years old. You, you don't know anything about baseball in the 80s and 90s. 80s, not
2: so much. That's before my time.
0: But uh, What was your first year watching baseball? You remember watching baseball? Watch, it was the McGuire-Sosa thing. That's why I became a fan. Wow. Oh, that's why you're a
2: Cardinals fan. Yes. A, totally ridiculous. Okay. I didn't ask for your approval. I didn't know you then. <laughs> no, you can root for wherever you want to root for. I just, oh, see, there we go. All right. Roger chimes in on Twitter. He's got a question. He's got sale, Severino and Syndergaard all up for grabs on the cheap in his keeper. league. He wants to know which one you'd be most apt to target. None, none of the above.
1: What were we just talking about? Right?
0: <laughs> Vote None of the above. All right. Let's be serious for a second. And try to help some people. So, um, I just don't see – first of all, none of them are going to pitch this year. I guess Severino could. No, he had Tommy John too. They all had Tommy John. Yeah. So the oldest of that group has to be Sale, right, without looking it up. Yeah. Um, but he's probably the one I trust the most. And I think he can return to what he was doing. Even in 2019, when the ERA was high, it was abnormally high. Like It, did, it was aberrant based on his peripherals. He was still pitching well and a major strikeout guy. I find it hard to trust Severino off of one good season and Cindergard, who I think continually underwhelms. He's good, but he's still not great. Sale will be the one I trust the most. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, I would agree. Kyle, what do you think?
0: I'd be
2: tempted to agree. I mean, Sale's the oldest, but he's 31. It's not like he's 38. I, I think you've got a little bit more life there. I'm kind of with Eric that I'm not trusting, you know, quote-unquote trusting either long-term. But if you are if you can get him on the cheap, I guess it depends how cheap we're talking. But so would be my favorite.
1: Here's my fear with Syndergaard. And Eric alluded to that he quite hasn't lived up to maybe the potential. His fastball has always been very hittable. As hard as he throws, it's straight. Batters pick it up. Just check his, you know, OPS against his fastball. So what happens if he loses a couple miles an hour off that fastball? Does he become even more hittable? You know, now maybe a new regime in the Mets, a new analytics staff can figure something out there. I don't know, but he would—I'd put him third out of those three guys.
0: I think he's going to be, you know, sailor Severino's teammate in a year. Isn't Syndergaard up for free agency after next season?
1: Yeah, he has 2021 would be his last year of control. So
0: you know, he—he'll be coming back from Tommy John, trying to prove himself to get a long-term contract. The Mets aren't spending money, so I don't think they're going to be the ones to do it. So, Syndergaard, unlike Sale and Severino, is in a contract situation where he has to prove himself, whereas Sale is locked up forever by Boston and untradeable, as a matter of fact. So, to me, like, Syndergaard is going to have to try to prove something in order to get his $100 million. So, I don't know if that's good or bad. Sometimes that can hurt a pitcher when he tries too hard. So, I'm fading them all. I'm fading them all. None of them are going to be in my top 10 or top 20, I don't think.
2: Wow. Okay. Tom notes that we've always got those traditional slow starters. Are you more apt to fade those players if we do get baseball this season, understanding that it's
0: a shortened league and a slow start makes up a higher percentage of the games? Man, that is total guesswork because it's not going to be a normal spring training and it's not coming off a normal off season. So, like, I'm reading stories from players saying they worked out, obviously, in December and January to get ready for spring training and then they they hit or or pitched in spring training, and now they're off for three months again, and they can't go to the gym or to the facility where the team plays or anything. So it is total guesswork if you say, oh, this guy's a slow starter. Jose Ramirez was a slow starter next year. That means nothing for this July, I think. I'll tell you what I am doing, and maybe you, you agree with this, Dave. I'm going to be fading starting pitching if they resume because they are not going to be as ready, I think, as hitters are going to be ready and I'm going to, we're going to see some craziness with six-man rotations, with starters only going like three innings in the first couple weeks. So I'm going to be fading starting pitching in my drafts as opposed to hitting.
1: Yeah, that would make sense. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I uh, – is there really anything to guys who start slow year after year? is that a bit I of a myth anyways? I don't know. No, I start do it. Uh, but, yeah, starting pitching. Look, spring training, they're going to want to get – Whenever we get back, it's gonna. they want to get the ball rolling as quick as possible. It might be a two-week spring training. So, yeah, starting pitchers are not going to be ramped up, you know, whenever we get going. So that's a good point, Eric.
0: And real-life rosters are going to change. So, like, the 26-man roster is going to be like 36 probably whenever they resume. But in fantasy, it doesn't change. Obviously, <laughs> We're not going to be able to change, you know, roster sizes that he It's just not going to happen, so don't ask for it, people. So you're gonna, I would say your bench is gonna have to be more starting pitchers, so you can use week to week stuff. Like if Verlander's gonna pitch only three innings this week, you don't gonna, you're not going you are not going to want to have him active. He's not gonna win. Also, it's gonna affect stats like wins and saves. How are starting pitchers gonna get any wins at all? It's all gonna be <coughs> long men, like potentially like Yusmera Petit, Ronnie Yarbrough. God bless you, Dave sneezed. How are you gonna know? And if there's a seven inning double header. How is, you know, a Ronald Chapman going to get a save in that? Maybe he won't. Maybe they'll be using pitchers in a different way. So pitchers are going to be all up in the air for this, whatever the season is anyway. Let's use that as a pivot as long as
2: we're there. Tony said, Eric always mentions going hitting early and often. How extreme are you taking that, assuming we have games this year? No pitching for the first five, seven, ten rounds?
0: Man, I never say, like, I won't do something you know like that because it, it depends what everybody else is doing to some degree but um in a normal 2020 season I was actually going heavier on starting pitcher than ever before because there's only like 15 guys I really trust and I wanted to get two of them so in a couple of the drafts I did of my first 10 picks four were starting pitchers in a couple leagues I wouldn't do that now maybe I would get like like Still try to get an ace or two, but the middle class I would wait on because, you know, guys like Nate Pearson might be just as good as Strasburg in a three-month season. So that's something that I would change. Um, Dave, what about you? You've done well in fantasy leagues that that I've been in with you, and I think you build similarly to me where it's mostly hitting early.
1: Mostly. I, I think last year with the lively ball and the high runs per game, it did change things a little bit where... If you can get a Garrett Cole or a Max Scherzer, I can't fault anybody that, you know, picks one of those guys in the, you know, a well, Cole would obviously be a first round pick. Scherzer maybe slides to the second round. Strasburg, you know, yeah. I I can't fault going after one of those aces in the first two rounds.
2: So you'd be more likely to try Tristan's modified Lebedini, Fettuccini, whatever he calls it, <laughs> strategy where you have one ace and build back end on everything
1: else? Yeah, I, kind of yeah anyway. I would then, if I get one of those aces, I would definitely probably wait a while before I go to my number two starter.
2: That's fair. I agree. All right. Last question here comes from Mac. He says, you guys, meaning Eric and Tristan, but I'm sure Dave's the same way, have made it clear that you've passed on stolen base only guys. Who's the player you're ending up with that leads your team
0: at the end of a draft in stolen bases, and how many steals you are looking at? Oh, my goodness. Uh yeah, I mean basically, Dave, the argument that, that I've been making is that Malik Smith of your Mariners is undraftable in a fan in a normal fantasy league, a, a 10 team, five by five normal fantasy league. And the reason is because you can no after what happened last season, you can no longer have any offensive spot on your team that doesn't have home run or RBI potential. I mean, it doesn't have to be like 30 home runs from everybody. But if you've got a guy like Malik's who ha- who has nothing in home runs and RBI and really doesn't have batting average either, that just kills your offense. I lost the league because I had Gerard Dyson as one of my guys in NL only. And if that was anybody with more power, if that was Nick Marcakis, I would have won the league. But Dyson gave me speed. So I argue that you can't draft Malik Smith. And um, who else is like just a stolen base only guy? Like Ender Inciarte maybe, Um Elvis Andrews to some degree. D Gordon, no way. Um, So my stolen base leader would end up being a guy like either Trout or Yelich from round one. I would take Jonathan Villar. Starling Marte is a guy I've been focusing on a little bit. What what say you?
1: Yeah, I agree. Look, there's a reason there's so few of those, like, steal-only guys anymore because they're not good players. Teams aren't playing those guys. So the few that play – D Gordon's—he's not a good player. Malik Smith is not a good player, um, and Shed Long is going to play second base for the for the Mariners. But yeah, I'm with you. Look, you always know my fantasy weakness is often stolen bases, although I've been better at it in recent years. But yeah, those guys, I'm with you. You got to fill all five categories, or I'll take the other somebody who fills the first four and worry about steals later.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think my stolen base leader on the teams that I've already drafted, um, I've taken VR earlier than I should have in a few leagues because I think that's a safe 30-steal guy. Miami will lead him off. He's already eligible at second short, probably adds third base. Um, Looking at some others, Tommy Pham I like. I mean, obviously, after the first round, um, I think John Birdie has like a late-round pick on Miami. Garrett Hampson I'm not a fan of, but I do think he should steal some bases. Uh, Ramon Laureata of Oakland is a guy I like to steal 20 bases. I, I think he's a little bit underrated. Um, who else? Kingery could steal 20 bases because now the Phillies will let him run. Victor um, Robles? Yeah, Vic, Well, Vic, yeah, you're right. Victor Robles is a guy who I got in NL labor, and I spent way too much on him. I think he could lead off for Washington, and he could steal 30 bases. So, or he could bat
1: Sim League on baseball reference, Malik Smith leads the league with 10 steals. He's hitting 286. Is that workable? He doesn't fill any of the other categories. I guess we'll get you a few runs, but
0: Yeah, but you know he's not gonna hit two eighty-six.
1: No, I, I don't even think he's gonna play that much, you know. So that's like with maybe that's not even a good example, but
0: if why he hit- would why would they play him? It, look, if Malik Smith could hit two seventy-five with ten home runs in a full season, that changes this thing. Right. But I don't think he can do that. Um and I've been I've been fading out Alberto Montey. So Adelbert Montesty is third in the sim here on baseball reference with seven steals. He also has two walks and twenty six strikeouts. So there's no way he's gonna bat three twenty nine over a full season. Over eighteen no. games, sure. But come on.
1: No you know not, who else? Yeah, I don't why I don't know. Well, look, it's eighteen games in sim. I don't think he's gonna end up at three twenty nine, but yeah, with his strikeout to walk ratio, he does so not have a good future.
0: Interesting numbers here on the sim for Kyle Tucker of Houston who looks like he's playing regularly, which I don't know if he will in real life, but three home runs, five steals, one walk in 74 plate appearances with 17 strikeouts. That's a big problem. If the Sim does not like Kyle Tucker, everybody just assumes Kyle Tucker is going to be a great player if he plays over Josh Reddick. The Sim is saying there's something to watch here. He might be a 2020 guy, but he might hit 230 with that walk rate.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize he was that much of a hacker. I don't know what his minor league stats are without looking. Um, Yeah, Tucker's a really interesting guy. You know, he kind of has that J.D. Drew label because he doesn't show much emotion on the field. I don't know if that's fair or not. I think he's going to be good, but I don't think he's a guarantee to be good.
0: Well, if Kyle Tucker ever plays a, a game in Philadelphia, I hope the fans don't throw batteries at him like they did J.J. Drew. Yeah, he, knew he was on my most hyped prospect list. He was, uh, hey, the Phillies didn't have to draft him. You know, they, they were told don't draft him, and they did it anyway. It's their own fault. All right, uh, Dave, I have really enjoyed this, uh, reminiscing with you. I mean, we reminisce once in a while on the phone anyway, but uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for filling in, and we will definitely have you on again. And I don't know what the season is going to have, but um, basically for those listening to our show, we really appreciate it. We're planning on going Monday, Thursday until they, they tell us to stop. That's what my plan is. Uh, Monday, Thursday mornings. So hopefully we can keep doing that. Please check out all of Dave's fantastic writing, ESPN's MLB coverage. He's been doing a lot of it, and it's really good. may not be fantasy-oriented, but it's good writing. Don't you want to read good writing? I do. And ESPN's got great baseball coverage with Jeff Passan and everybody else. And also, we're doing good stuff in fantasy baseball. Check out the work that we're doing. Me, Tristan, Zola, AJ, everybody else. And also, fantasy football is ramping up, everybody. I know you're playing that, too. So the draft is still scheduled for next week. Obviously, it's going to happen. And we're going to be doing stuff for fantasy football, a lot of it over the next month. So please check that out as well. Thank you to Dave. Thank you to Kyle Sapi. I am Eric Carabell. Have an awesome weekend.